Welcome to Courageous Wellness. My name is Erica Stein. And I'm Allie French. And this is a podcast about individual journeys toward wellness and how to navigate it all. After Allie experienced a cancer diagnosis in her 20s, and Erica went through a sustained weight loss and self-love journey, we created a platform to interview real people from all walks of life that have combined all types of practices. From physical wellness to emotional and spiritual, we hear courageous stories and focus on why it's important to share them. We are now certified integrative nutrition health coaches, and together with our community, we are learning to live our best lives by telling one courageous story at a time. It takes courage to share these journeys, and by talking about them and sharing personal stories of real people, we aim to destigmatize the process. Join us as we and our community share our courageous wellness. Today on the podcast, we have love, dating, and relationship expert, Violet Lang. Violet has followed her mission to help women reclaim their feminine essence, feel amazing in their bodies, and become empowered in love. She teaches women how to attract partners and maintain incredible partnerships through her signature program, Queens of Pleasure. Violet believes love is the most powerful force on the planet and through it teaches how we have the power to build healthy romance, healthy families, and a healthy world. She does this through integrating the masculine and feminine energy within all of us and our partnerships. She has her MBA from Harvard University, is a 500-hour registered yoga teacher, and has been coaching women for the last seven years. Today, you will get to hear Violet share her own story and why her life experiences led her to the work she now does. This episode is brought to you by Ned. If you've listened to this podcast, you know I struggle with anxiety that can often lead to disruption in my sleep. When I first learned about CBD being a natural and powerful solution to anxiety, sleep disorders, muscle pain, headaches, and so much more, I became very passionate about finding the best source to put in my body. Enter Ned. Ned is a wellness brand offering science-backed and nature-based solutions that offer holistic alternatives to prescription and over-the-counter medicine. They only grow the highest quality full-spectrum CBD extracted from organically grown hemp plants and sourced from an independent farm in Colorado. I love that I can trust their transparent sourcing and that they always offer the cleanest product. I have now been taking the Ned Full Spectrum Hemp Oil 750 milligram tincture twice daily and have truly noticed a massive shift in my overall mood and anxiety levels. While I don't often struggle with anxiety, I regularly use and love Ned's natural cycle collections of salves, tinctures, and roll-ons to support hormone balance and ease period symptoms. These products source 100% organic and wild-crafted botanicals and are slow-crafted from seed to bottle by a group of extraordinary women. All Ned products are also non-psychotropic. If you want to check out Ned and try their CBD for yourself, we have a special offer for the Courageous Wellness audience. Go to www.helloned.com forward slash CW podcast. That is H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash CW podcast to get 15% off your first order plus free shipping. Thank you, Ned. We know that you're going to love these products, so you can also find the direct link in our show notes. We have an exciting new discount for our listeners with Four Sigmatic. 
Four Sigmatic offers superfood coffee and elixirs to upgrade your daily routine. The powerful antioxidants, antiviral effects, and immune-boosting properties of mushrooms transform your cup of joe from an energy-boosting treat to a health-enhancing choice. Along with mushroom coffee, Four Sigmatic also offers mushroom elixirs, mushroom hot cocos, and other shroom-filled products. Erica uses the lion's mane in her morning superfood coffee, and even though I hate mushrooms, I absolutely love the products, especially the matcha latte powder, which contains myataki mushrooms and adaptogens. For 10% off Four Sigmatic products, visit foursigmatic.com and use the code COURAGEOUS at checkout, and there's also a direct link in our show notes. Well, thank you, Violet, for joining us today. Thank you. I'm excited. So are we. We've never done an episode about specifically about relationships. So we're, we're really excited to hear your story and about the work that you do. Just to start out, can you tell us and our listeners a little bit about your personal journey and how that's brought you to the work that you're currently doing? Absolutely. Yes. I was married in my 20s for about five years, and it was not a very fulfilling relationship And I never in a million years thought that I would get divorced, but it came to a point where that was really the best option for, for me and for the relationship. And then in the years after getting divorced, before meeting my now husband, Jason, I was just crushed with dating. I would get breadcrumbed and ghosted and couldn't really get past like a three month mark in a relationship. And then when I did, couldn't really get past like a year long mark, things were just falling apart, even though I really wanted to be in a great relationship. And so through a lot of pain and heartache and going through that journey, at the same time, I also was healing some wounds from sexual trauma and some challenges that I had then, you know, trusting, connecting to my body, feeling good in my feminine energy. And it led me to a place where I realized that this is something I'm really passionate about. But it was, it was kind of strange because I was resisting at first, like I was coaching people in business and then my business clients inevitably after a few months would ask me to to coach them with their relationship. So I think they intuitively could tell that I was putting so much energy into this part of my life and I had something I guess that they wanted to hear about or wanted me to share. And then it just kind of snowballed with people coming up to me at events being like, I know I have to talk to you, but I'm not sure why. So yeah, it all just came together and this is this is something I do now that I'm excited about and, and have been doing for the last seven years. Thank you for sharing that. I think, again, like Ali shared, I'm really excited to have this conversation because I think relationship wellness is definitely very important. And I think the work that you are doing is very important. So maybe we can talk about how did you eventually attract the right partner? Because I think it's so relatable. Um, I'm married now for, I can't believe it, five years um, this year, and it'll be eight years total. Um, No, it is eight years total with my um, husband. But it similarly, I also could not really, before I did the inner work, right, it was very hard to... um, not even the three month mark. I don't think anyone before my husband, it was a lot of like casualness, like no one wanted to define it. And because I didn't truly value my life, I just let that be okay. Um, 
So I'd love to talk about, because I have my own experience with it, and I know Ali does too, but really your experience with attracting the right partner and how that kind of maybe led into how you coach other women into attracting the right partner as well. Absolutely. Patterns of attraction are one of the most important things because the myth is that you'll just meet someone and you'll have chemistry and you'll fall in love and everything will be happily ever after. And typically if we're feeling really strong chemistry with someone right away, that's mainly physical chemistry, it's a reenactment. It's a reenactment of our old patterns with our family or with a former partner. So peeling back the onion on what I call our catnip, which is unhealthy pattern of attraction. And then what we really want to attract, which is integrated head, heart, and body. But I find most people are either dating from their heart and are like, yeah, I know it might not be the best fit, but he's just so cute and lovable. And, you know, we turn into his or her therapist or we're dating just from our head and we're like, yeah, I'm not sure about this, this, and this. He's maybe a little sarcastic, but on paper, he looks really good. I think my family will really like him. Or we're just dating from our body and just going for what we find physically attractive and then it's fizzling out. So we have an opportunity to integrate our head, our heart, and our body, and then be just a little more mindful when we're dating about what is coming up for us. And are we drawn to someone because of their values and their vision for their life and how they live their life? Or are we drawn to someone because of these uh, undefinable catnip sort elements? <laughs> Yeah, that's really interesting. And it makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm curious, do you specifically work within the context of like, wait, well, first f with women, but then also only with like heterosexual partnerships or do you work sort of across all different types of partnerships and relationships? I'm just curious, like, do you sort of specialize in like a specific sort of identifying group of people um, or can these tools be applied for anybody who's in any sort of a, in a relationship regardless of gender or sexual orientation? I only work with women or women, people who identify as women, but I have clients who are lesbian, bisexual, heterosexual, monogamish. Uh, I don't teach a lot of open relationship or polyamory relationship because it's just not my path and I don't feel like I'm in integrity to teach it because mm -hmm. it's not something I've embodied or lived. But I, uh, I have had clients who don't value monogamy as highly as some of my other clients and they're more open to it being a little more fluid. But I would say 95% of my clients want a monogamous committed partnership and then, yeah, the, a full range of different preferences and orientations. Yeah, I was just curious because I'm, I'm wondering if, you know, the core of what you teach or what you coach can be applied um, to relationships that maybe look different between two women or between, like, I feel like some of the things that might come up between um, a woman and a man might be different than between a woman and a woman, or perhaps there are just some universal truths that you know, doing the self-work is really where it starts. So I'm just sort of curious to have you speak to that. Yes, I think there are universal truths. I mean, I, I haven't had or, or been exposed to myself personally being in a lesbian relationship. So I don't want to claim that I know everything about that. But I have a woman who married another woman a few months ago and other women who've, you know, found women partners. I do talk about feminine energy, but it's more a principle of being open and receptive versus feeling like we've got to control everything and being connected to our body versus mainly in our head and being 
involved and in love with the process versus just the outcome. And we all have feminine and masculine energy. And I actually find that to attract a balanced partner, we need to have our own balance of our masculine and feminine energy within us. And a lot of it is about, yeah, patterns of attraction, attachment style, being vulnerable, um, managing your emotions in a way that you can show up present. And um, yeah, my, my sense for my clients who have uh, homosexual relationships is they, they haven't given me different feedback than other clients mm-hmm. that I've had. Well, that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, okay. So I'm curious then like what, what, when you started to transform or do certain work on yourself and you found that this was like sort of coming into your orbit where people were asking you for advice on dating and attracting a partner when like in your life, when this started to happen, um, when did you know that this was something that you really wanted to transform into a business is like part one of the question. And then can you tell us a little bit how, how you went about doing that? Mm-hmm. So I had done my coach training seven or eight years ago when I first started coaching, but I was coaching mainly business people. And then I started following and working with a woman who is more involved in sexuality coaching when I was working with healing my trauma and all of that. And I signed up to take her coaching program, but I was telling myself, oh, this is just for fun. This is just for me. Even though a lot of my clients had started asking me about love and dating, I had a lot of stigma within myself of it's not credible to be a love coach. You know, it's not credible to do these things that, that I was starting to explore. And so I started her coaching thing and it wasn't until maybe six or eight months after that, that I realized my heart was so much more open and excited about the love coaching work that I was doing. And I also got really fired up about dating and she didn't really talk that much about dating. And I was like, oh my gosh, we really need, I felt we really needed, you know, dating tools and guidance to feel empowered in dating versus thinking, oh my God, it's a numbers game. I just have to keep opening these apps. And I found it was a real big energy drain and had a negative effect on my, my mental and emotional health when I didn't have the tools to really feel good about dating. Can you talk us through your own experience, right? How did you know you, like you said, now you're excited about dating, you're doing this work. How did you know your husband was the one? And with that, how did you go about breaking the patterns that weren't serving you? Because I think, you know, going back to the beginning, when you talked about what, um, kind of like there is that disconnect. I feel like so many times between what we, we as women, and especially I knew myself when I was dating, what I said I wanted and what I was going after. So I think there is some sort of like reconciliation that needs to happen between your behavior and your, you know, it's like what you're saying and what you're doing. So maybe you can talk us through your own process with that. And then, yeah, how, how you coach and help others in that way as well. Absolutely. Well, my old pattern with my ex-husband and then actually with my first boyfriend after the divorce, ironically, I guess I just didn't learn my lesson, was to attract a partner who, I don't want to say needed help because that just isn't the right way to say it, but someone who wasn't as committed as I was to personal growth and to development and 
living a life of passion. And also I take responsibility. I was becoming the mother. I was thinking I knew better or trying to organize everything and be like the queen of logistics instead of really being connected to the love and to the, to the relationship. And the biggest thing too, is that I wasn't speaking up for my needs. If something didn't feel good or I wasn't getting my need met, I just would stuff it down and put that energy into work or into other things. And then of course things fell apart and unraveled because I wasn't being vulnerable about what I needed and wanted. And then I started to lose respect for the person because I'd been creating distance and not really being emotionally authentic in the relationship. So that was a really big pattern is to not fall in love with someone because it felt good to be like their therapist or, you know, to, to hold space for them all the time. And then another pattern is I was attracting men who were emotionally unavailable because I wasn't super emotionally available. And I was also afraid to talk about things like commitment. So I would just assume that we were on the same page and then I would be really hurt when later I would find out that they just wanted something really casual. So I had to look at all the ways that I was holding back, that I was withholding and to the title of your podcast, you know, I wasn't being courageous in my relationships. I was just holding back and hoping that they would like me and that everything would be okay. And it didn't, and it didn't really work that it didn't really work that way. Um, so when I met my husband, I had previously had two really important experiences in my dating life. One of which was that I had met someone that looked really perfect on paper, but we had a lot of bickering and a lot of tussling and it was really early in the relationship. I mean, I'm talking like three weeks. It wasn't after a long time. And, um, this is really vulnerable for me to share, but I, after we broke up, we broke up after dating for about five weeks, I found out that I was pregnant and I had to decide if I was going to reenter that relationship and keep the baby, not reenter the relationship. Anyway, you know, we decided to not, to not go forward with it, but that's when I really let go of my attachment to what things needed to look like, because I had this person who was perfect on paper. I had a family, could have had a family that I was always wanting. And then when I realized, okay, my heart, my soul are not in this, I have to let this go. And if that means letting go of this child and also letting go of the potential to start a family with this person, I'm literally starting from square one, but I'm going to do it because it doesn't feel, doesn't feel right for me. And then after that, I dated someone who not everything was perfect on paper, but I thought we had a really strong connection. And I realized that they weren't that into monogamy and weren't into the things that I was looking for. So I think I had rebounded from the perfect on paper person that could have started a family easily to this other person that was a little more open and, and fluid and all of that, but it, it also wasn't the right fit. So I just had gotten to a point where I was so raw and real with myself and willing to let go of what I thought I needed and wanted in order to just be true to what was going on. And I don't say hit rock bottom, but it was, it was a little difficult because I had been already coaching people on these things. And I'm thinking, Oh my gosh, like I'm take I have to take my own advice, which we always do have to take our own advice. But those two experiences were really intense. And so, so when I met Jason, it was, it was just a point. I was at a point where on our, on our second date, I asked him what he thought about polyamory and you know, on our third and fourth date, I talked about wanting a family and sharing what had happened. And I don't think we need to just dump our emotional life story on someone. So we need to 
I believe, have it be more bounded vulnerability and make sure that they can hold space for us and we feel safe. But I just had decided to kind of open the kimono and just talk about all the things I was always afraid of talking about. And he just met me every step of the way. And even if we didn't agree on something, we could agree to hold our differences without losing respect for each other. And it was just a, such a refreshing way for, for relationship. And I shared things like, Hey, you know, my ex-husband, we, we totally grew apart. I will never be in a relationship with like that again. Like I have to know that you're super committed to personal growth and I'm not going to nag you to do it. Like I'm not going to be your mom. So when I met my husband, the very first time that we met before we had our first date, he and I were talking at the end of the event, everyone was going out to get a drink. And I was like, Oh, let's, you know, let's go. And he's like, it's 11 PM. And I didn't meditate this morning and I have to get home to do my practice. And I was like, swoon, <laughs> because <laughs> even though I felt a little bit miffed, oh, why isn't he going out with me and getting a drink? I had so much respect for his integrity and his commitment to his practice that it just, yeah, it lit something up inside, inside of me. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Cause I know it's, a lot. It's a lot to talk about our personal stuff. And I think, um, you know, but when we do share, like Erica and I are believers of like sharing these courageous stories really kind of empower other people to not feel alone and maybe, maybe to feel more sort of empowered to share their own and maybe help an, an additional person, even if it's only one person. Um, and so thank you for, for sharing that. Um, I'm, I'm curious. I mean, it's, it's sort of fun and exciting to hear like this different stages and then you finding, you know, this person. Um, but I'm curious, like when you're starting to work with women, do you find that, you know, I think it's a natural part of being a human to want partnership in some form. Maybe that looks different for different people, but to want that human connection relationship. Do you find though that sometimes people think they want that because of any sort of outside pressures. Like, you know, I had sort of a revelation where it's like at one point in my life where it's like, I don't need to be in a relationship to be a fully formed human and people still want to like hang out with me and still find that I'm fun, even if I'm single. And like, there's just like interesting levels to that, that I didn't necessarily anticipate going through when I had that experience and after a breakup. And it was just, so I'm just curious, like when people come to you and are like really, really, really wanting a relationship, is there any sort of like self-evaluation of why you're wanting the relationship that they have to go through? I definitely work with my clients to identify what is meaningful to them about relationship and what's the deeper longings is the longing to feel safe is the longing to co-create with someone is the longing to start a family or travel the world. And I believe relationships need to be additive, like not just the two coming together, but that you're creating something else with that. And then it's more sustainable and more fun, whether that's a family or an art project or a nonprofit or a travel blog or whatever it is, um, giving, giving life to something through your, through your partnership. So if people are just like, I want to ring on the finger because, you know, I'm sick of being single. It's not really a good fit for me. I, I tend to work with women who are, yeah, a little more, uh, a little more aware of some of those deeper longings or willing to go into those deeper longings. And I have clients who, meet a partner within weeks of working with me. I have clients who date someone and then realize, oh my God, I've never been the one to break up with someone. I don't really like 
this person or I don't, ex I don't expect things to go the way that I thought they might. It's so empowering to be able to end this relationship. I've never done that. And then they're just dating or single or dating and just like feeling, oh, you know, I'm really at peace with myself right now. So I'm not necessarily attached to the outcome. I just want to help them feel empowered in the process and, and authentically connect to what is real for them. And especially now with coronavirus and everything being a little different with how people are dating, I think it's an opportunity to get really real with ourselves. And then with a potential partner, since you can't meet with them in person anyway, you know, have those, have those conversations over zoom and, and don't settle. I hate it when people are like, well, they say I'm too picky. Well, you should be picky. You're going to spend the rest of your life with this person. Mm. When we talk about the coaching work you do as well, do you also coach after the relationship or with women who write, have found partnership? Because I think to, um, obviously there's a lot that goes on in partnership. We're all partnered and, or married. Um, but I think to write, like, I feel like I did a lot of work, um, before I met my husband, right. That allowed me to, to, choose the right partner. But I also have friends who have done the work in the relationship, right? Like it's the right partner, but maybe they didn't do all the work before. So now they have to do the work in the relationship. So how do you coach someone who is in the, the relationship and, and still needs a little bit of wellness help there? Yes. My coaching is a little bit unique in that the first half of my program, the first fourth of my program is about inner work. The second fourth is about dating. And then the last part of it, the last half is actually about in relationship, attachment styles, communication, sex, fighting, you know, all these things that, that tend to come up. And when someone graduates from my program, they work with me for life. So what that means is they can always email me even after we're done with our work together and I can give them support or tools. And we have alumni calls now three times a month, actually. So almost once a week, people are still able to come together because my passion is not just helping people feel empowered in dating, but helping them feel that they're in a relationship that can support them for living their highest self or their, their fullest self, however you want to say it. Now, I do have sometimes clients who are in a partnership. They're reaching out for me to me for help, and I can't coach their partner. That doesn't feel appropriate. So not that it's just their partner's fault, but if they're running into something that's a pattern that would require more support and more care, especially let's say, you know, some of my clients, they have a child from a previous relationship, their partner has children from the previous relationship, it gets complex. So I'm very happy to say, this is outside of my scope. I'm here to help connect we, you to yourself and these practices, but you should, you could look into, you know, couples counseling and all of that. So I would like to believe I kind of still have a nest for them to fly back to when they need to, but still can recommend resources because Jason and I have a therapist that we see maybe only once every three months now, but for a while we were seeing every week because we still needed support for some of these things that were coming up, even though we had both done a lot of the work beforehand. Yeah. I think that's important to sort of bring to light because I think you're right. There's sort of this myth that we, um, especially as women have been told, like, when you find the one, then you live happily ever after. And then it's like, wait, no, that's not how it works. It's like, we're all humans and human and uh, humans in any kind of relationship, right? Whether it's your 
with your parents or your children or your siblings or your um, friendships, you know, they're all relationships take work and they ebb and flow. And if we continue to evolve as people, it's going to change the dynamic, right? With the people in our life, especially when it's like in the context of partnership. So to know that even like an expert in the field continues to need to like do maintenance, right? Like a check-in maintenance. Maybe it is. Maybe it's literally just like the equivalent of getting your oil changed, right? Like, but if you don't once in a while check in to make sure your oil is changed, your oil is going to get like dirty, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think that's, that's cool to have both of those things, right? To be like, hey, I've created this wonderful partnership after all this experience and I've found someone who's like a really loving partner connected in all the ways and we continue to work on it. Absolutely. And we continue to work on our own individual things as well. I feel like relationship can't just come together and then stay static or else 20 years later, you're going to be having to do some deep work to to reconnect. So there's an idea that we always need to have closeness with our partner, which is, which is good. We want to have togetherness, but we also need to have healthy separateness, separate interests, separate passions, still doing work, um, getting coached or exploring something new. And then we have something cool to bring back to the relationship of something we learned. And to your point, in certain phases of the relationship, maybe it's just a little check-in, like an oil change. But if we're both growing as individuals, there will be times in the relationship, the container of the relationship, like a plant in a pot, we need a new pot, like it needs to expand out for for deeper roots and for bigger branches and, and all of those things. So to me, it gets really exciting because then relationship turns into a path for spiritual growth and part of our personal development versus just something that we check the box once. And I actually don't believe in the, th- the concept of the one, even though I love my husband. I think, I don't personally believe that there's just one person in the whole wide world who's going to be your, your soulmate that puts on so much pressure on the right. other person and on us versus saying, look, there's a bunch of different connections I can create. What sort of connection would best nourish me emotionally, physically, spiritually, and mentally? And then can I choose again and again to recommit to that with authenticity and open communication so that we both have a really good chance of making this work in the long term? How do you coach anyone, right? Like coupled or uncoupled on like conscious fighting? Because I think that can be really difficult um, in relationships, in dating, right? Like people have different ways of dealing with anger and aggression. And I think it's just sucks to fight with somebody that you care about and love. So yeah, I'm just curious how you coach people through conscious disagreements (laughs) and fights. That's a great question. And I'm not perfect. I mean, I am going to share what I coach people on and that let, and obviously I have to let everyone know that this is stuff that I have to work on all the time too. But the biggest thing is to not project onto the other person and to take responsibility. And something really simple that I teach my clients is I feel blank and I want blank. So I feel really angry that you were late for this important, you know, date that we had set up or that you didn't do this. And what I really want is to feel closer to you, to be able to trust you in the future, to know that you'll be able to keep your word. So when we pair how we feel with what our desire is, it takes a little of the edge off versus you were 30 minutes late and I can't believe this happened and you always do this. So 
when we say you and point the finger, then the other person, of course, gets defensive, and then it creates this hot potato of the of the fiery anger and and energy. And it takes a lot of vulnerability vulnerability to say, "I feel really hurt," or "I feel I feel unattractive," or "I feel unloved right now," or "I feel." ashamed like it's not easy work but it does keep the the fighting and the disagreements a little more clean and then even if you still are agreeing to disagree so to speak you can at least say like well i love that we're still committed to figuring this out even if we don't have a solution now like not feeling like you have to figure it out right in the moment i don't necessarily think you should just stay stewing at each other but if you can at least regulate your nervous systems with some touch or eye contact or deep breathing and take responsibility for what you're feeling and both share what you want and then just say, okay, we don't have a solution. Maybe we need some help. So we need to see our therapist or we need to go do something together as a couple. Um, it at least gives you the breathing room to see things more clearly. I'm curious if someone, you know, we're talking a lot about in, within the context of partnership and relationship, but a lot of what you do is starting to work with people who want, who want relationship. So if someone is new and just starting to work with you and sort of entering the dating scene and whatever that may look like in currently 2020, um, where, where do they start? Where do you start? I'm just curious what that looks like because, you know, as we become more authentic with ourselves and kind of tap into that vulnerability, like, I'm sure it can be scary to be out there and um, and like putting it on the line for people or or figuring out you know what you actually want to and so what does the beginning process look like with you? That's a great question. The beginning process is really about self love and nurturing and building that resiliency in our emotional and energetic system so that we can navigate the ups and downs of dating and not take it personally and know that we are lovable. And um, yeah, so it, it all starts with self-love. And then the second part is self-respect. So setting healthy boundaries, communicating our truth, speaking about our wants and our, and our needs and our feelings. And then the third part is healing from the past. So releasing those old patterns of attraction, releasing and forgiving ourselves, forgiving our old partners and then finding the gratitude and the learning. So we've learned from every interaction we've had, I believe, every date we've had, every relationship we've had. So how can we apply that to the future? So the main thing is really feeling safe and connected to ourselves and our yes and our no, so that when we do date, it can be a more curated experience versus a numbers game. I believe it's more of an energy game than a numbers. I don't think it's a game, but you know what I mean? It's more about yeah. energy than numbers. I like that more of like, game aside, but like an energy game as opposed to a numbers game. Cause yes. yeah, I like that so much more. Um, can you also walk us through, you have, um, a program called Queens of Pleasure and I love the name of that program. So can you talk to us a little bit about your Queens of Pleasure program? And I think it, I think what I like about that title so much is, um, pleasure, right, can be so loaded for so many women. Um, either they don't know how to enjoy or it's all about someone else's pleasure. So yeah, can you walk us through this? Of course. I get a lot of questions and I almost have considered many times changing the name because it is such a misunderstood word and topic. 
but I believe pleasure is anything that lights us up, anything that makes us feel good, and ideally holistically. I mean, there's short-term pleasure, there's long-term pleasure, but something that holistically feels in, a, in an integrated way that it makes us feel better about ourselves, our lives, our experiences, and really enjoying our pleasures instead of it being a guilty pleasure, connecting to the five senses. And if you're going to have a nice glass of wine, like really freaking enjoy that glass of wine and give yourself permission to do that. And most people would not equate dating with a, being a pleasurable process. But if we can have fun with dating and feel good about dating and feel good about ourselves and the people that we're interacting with in dating, then it just becomes so much more enjoyable and, and not to be all law of attraction-y, but it's, it's so much more, it's so much faster too to find what we want because we're just in the flow making dating a flow versus like a job or an interview. And then the queen part of it is just finding our own sovereignty, knowing that we are sovereign beings and we don't need a relationship to make it happen. Like Ali was saying, to make us a different person. We just are sovereign as we are and we get to pick and choose. You know, we get to be like, okay, this feels good. This doesn't feel good. I like this person, but I'm not totally sure. So I'm going to still talk to some other people. It doesn't mean you have to be going out sleeping with a million people, but you should be able to explore your options and take your time in dating versus feeling like you've got to make it happen right away out of some sort of scarcity. I think there's plenty of people that are looking for connection and a lot of people that are, are hungry for that more authentic connection. So that's part of where, where the name comes from. I like that. I'm curious now that you are a, a new mom, um, do you find that like if do you find now that as as a parent, uh, I know you're partnered, but like do you find or see different complexities that come up um being a parent and then with people like I don't know if you have new insight into people who also are parents but also trying to date or or be in relationship? Absolutely. I have quite a few clients who are single moms and it has given me so much mad respect for them and, and uh, empathy for all that they've gone through and pride. I'm so proud of my single moms for being single moms and figuring it out and also still saying, and I want love just because I'm a single mom doesn't mean that I have to wait until my kids are out of the house. Now, some, some people, they choose that and that's their choice, but I work with a lot of women whose kids are you know, old enough that they're in school and they're, they're ready to find a partner because they want a healthy role model and healthy relationship modeled for their, for their children. So I feel like you have to be even more clear about your boundaries and even more clear about your time. Um, one of the things that my husband and I just assumed would be handled is, is that, you know, we'd both be kind of sharing the time with the baby or, or equally sharing the time with the baby. And then I didn't realize until after becoming a mom that I needed to ask for help so much more because he didn't really know like what I, what I needed and the intensity of breastfeeding and the intensity of trying to manage the baby's needs and all of that. So I had to find my voice so much more strongly and not feel bad about asking for help but at the same time, create structures with each other. So now we have, we live and die by our calendars. So even as, even, even as a mom, so 
we put in time, I'll say, you know, Violet self-care time for two hours on Saturday afternoon or Violet work time. And then instead of me saying, oh, will you watch the baby for a while? Like I need his permission. It's just clear, you know, what our responsibilities are. So boundaries and speaking up is, is so important. Yeah, I think that's great. It's great. You know, and it's like, it's not just 20 something women who are in the position to be dating. So it's especially in 2020, right? So I think it's, that, I love that too, that you guys live and die by your calendar. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to get better at that in my own life. <laughs> yeah. You know me. I'm like, I need routine and calendar and structure. And so I am, yeah, it helps a lot. Um, I would love to know, and we touched on this in the beginning, but that masculine and feminine energy that isn't right about genders, but again, more about we all have masculine and feminine energy in us. Um, how do you nurture that in individuals or for any of our listeners who feel like, oh, like I feel like I'm too masculine or I'm too feminine. How do we really find that balance and bring that balance into our relationships? Hmm. Yeah, I first of all feel protective of anyone listening who's thinking, oh, you know, I, I need to be more of one or the other because I know a lot of my journey and my client's journey will start to learn about masculine and feminine energy and then we might feel shame like, oh, I can't believe I'm so masculine or I can't believe this and I just want to reduce any shame about whatever you might believe or perceive about yourself. Like it's all good. It's all helpful in there for a reason that if you having to have a lot of masculine energy, you might be amazing at, you know, things that require a lot of masculine energy, like your job or accomplishing goals or things that take a lot of focus and a lot of drive. And I personally have a ton of masculine energy. I studied engineering and business and I'm just boom, boom, boom. <laughs> so for me, finding my feminine energy was about letting go of some of that control and also really reconnecting to my body. Uh, it's a bit of a side note, but when I was 29, I hurt my ankle when I was running. And the doctor literally prescribed me to massage my own ankle and some of the tendons and muscles around their ligaments. And I started, I had a breakdown. I started crying because I, for the first time in my life was like, this is my ankle. This is my body. I'd been so dissociated from my body. And so part of the feminine energy that I teach is connecting to your body and appreciating and loving your body and having pleasure in your body, even if it's not sexual pleasure, it could just be enjoying touch or enjoying the taste of something you're eating. And so I think if someone is curious about these energies and these dynamics, connecting to your body, connecting to your sensuality, even if it's not your sexuality, and connecting to your pleasure are really good um, starts. And then also connecting with your vulnerability. I consider vulnerability to be or feminine in quotations, because it's a little more about openness and connecting to your heart. And then I teach my clients a lot of things like there's something called a yoni egg, which is like a Kegel exercise, but it's, it's more than that that comes from the Eastern Taoist tradition. And just little things that like connecting to the five senses are all pathways to your feminine energy. If anyone listening wants to try at home, right? Like tapping in, especially to their bodies. Um, what, where would you suggest they begin? Like some practical steps that they can take. The first thing I would do is just a body scan meditation. And you two might already, you know, suggest this to your listeners. So I don't mean to be redundant, but better understanding the sensations in your body, hot, cold, open, closed, 
light, dark, tingly, numb, just thinking, okay, my heart feels, my heart feels a little collapsed right now. Even just sitting here, my posture is not great, you know, or okay, my heart feels more open. My back feels more tight. Like knowing what's going on in your body is a huge first step. And it gives you a huge repertoire of language to communicate with a partner. You know, if someone says something that doesn't feel good to you, instead of closing off and being like, okay, this guy's a jerk, not my partner, you know, I'll have to wait till the next, the next person that I meet, you can say, oh, that kind of made my heart get really tight and closed. Like, can I ask you about what you meant by that? And it might have just been a misunderstanding. Or if you say, oh, my, my belly feels like, ugh, like I'm so nervous about my job interview tomorrow, a person can say, oh my gosh, you know, they want to help us and comfort us and, and give us ideas and advice versus just holding all of that inside. So the body sensation, body awareness is the first thing. And then the second thing would be uh, some sort of self massage, whether it's just body oil in the shower and you're putting on body oil and loving your body and using an affirmation with your body or something as, as um, more out there as like the, the Yoni egg practice. I like that in the beginning you talked about, you know, combining what is like the mind, the heart, the body, um, that there's sort of this spiritual component or holistic component to the type of dating coaching that you do and, um, and combining all of those things. So we're not like separate, right? Like two in our mind or two in our body or whatever, that it's sort of a nice balance that you can approach this dating world with, um, a, a, a centered, you know, connection to yourself basically. And so I think it's a good, I think it's a good place to start because, you know, hearing you talk about noticing that this is your angle for the first time, it's often, I think not until we have, um, sometimes like traumatic physical things, uh, which can really cause two things. I think like total disassociation from the body or, in my case, after it was like after a certain amount of surgeries, I really had to listen to my body and I start to really understand my body in a new way because it was like, oh, this is the meat suit that I get to wear every day. And it wasn't until having gone through that process and gone through the process with the cancer surgeries that I was like really understood that in a, in a different way. So I, I think that's an interesting thing where it's like, I don't know. I think a lot of people, maybe it's fear of mortality or I don't know what it is, but this idea of like, you know, this is living, we're a living organism and our bodies are too. And we're full of cells and we're constantly regenerating. And to understand like the biology of that too, that we carry around. Um, I think it's an amazing thing to be able to connect to, to the body we get to be in every day, you know? So I love, I love that component of, of like the early parts of your practice or coaching with someone is really kind of tapping into that. Um, if, you know, a lot of people, as you had mentioned, even in your own journey, a lot of people do have, um, trauma though. And they, you know, I would say most people have some sort of spectrum of trauma. Um, and I think, you know, some women may not even internalize that necessarily. How, you know, if you're, if you're really coaching on someone who's been through some traumatic experiences, especially with, um, sex or in the, in the sort of love kind of world and, and trauma and love can become like conflated. 
how do you start to like, are you open to taking that on or is that something that you could like work with, you know, other professionals, maybe on a team effort? How do you sort of approach that? Because I think it's something that many people deal with. Mm -hmm. Yes. There's a part of the intake process when I'm working with a new client where I ask them what, what has happened in the past, if they're open to sharing. And it's of course confidential. And part of my program inherently addresses trauma through the healing chapter of the program. And then also through some of the JDIG practices that I create, which are about um, reclaiming our connection to our body and our anatomy as females. If we've felt that that power was somehow taken away from us, or if we've had a, a disconnect or if our boundaries weren't respected. So we do a lot with boundaries and body-based boundaries in the, the second chapter about self-respect and then healing in the third chapter. But if in the intake process, someone has more recent trauma that they haven't worked with a therapist or they haven't really touched it all, I might say, hey, would you be open to working with a somatic therapist either in tandem to our work or before we do our work? Most of the time, a woman who comes to me and we're talking about her trauma, she's done some sort of therapy, either talk therapy or somatic therapy, or she has done some sort of processing or, you know, some, some, she's worked with it in some ways. But my, the favorite sort of client that I work with is someone who's, who's worked with their trauma, but they maybe haven't figured out how to work through their trauma as it relates to their relational life. So I had worked with a somatic therapist myself for about five or six years and it was really great. But then there was this little gap between how do I talk about it with my partner when I get triggered? How do I, um, you know, manage my own boundaries and my own self care? How do I pay attention when something's going too fast or not feeling good? So I kind of help bridge that gap, but I, I can't obviously claim to say that I can help everyone with trauma, but um, we do address it in the program. You know, as we begin to wrap up, we always ask um, our guests uh, these two questions. And the first is, what does your self-care look like? And I think um, a fun twist for you can be, especially in this realm, right? Like how does self-care really allow you to show up, right? For your relationship with yourself and your relationship with your partner. The first self-care thing is, blocking out the time, making sure that I have that structure and the time to myself. And in that time, it may vary. It may be that I take a nap. It may be that I take a shower as a new mom. It may be that I connect with a girlfriend, but just knowing that my, my time is valuable and, and necessary, even if it's not being productive in that time. And usually in that self-care, I will do some sort of seated meditation practice and maybe draw an oracle card or journal, do something to connect to beyond my day to day and receive some of my own inner, inner wisdom. And then also some sort of movement, whether it's just putting one song on and dancing around or um, doing a little stretch or doing something that makes my body feel good, waking up my body, or if I'm in the shower, like really sudsing my hair and massaging my scalp. So kind of linking my body with this higher wisdom or higher guidance. And then I also like to uh, sometimes at nighttime do a yoni egg practice and it helps ground me. So I don't have, sometimes I feel a lot of anxiety at night. And so it helps me connect more to um, my body and also helps me connect more to my sexuality. So something that's important to my partner and I is to main, make sure that we maintain passion and enhance passion versus 
be one of those couples that has kids and then totally disconnects from the sexual part of their relationship. So the Yoni egg practice helps me to stay centered and grounded. And it also helps me feel more of my libido to connect with my partner. Thank you. And then the last question is, do you have any book recommendations you'd want to give to our listeners? Um, It can just be something that's been maybe important to you or inspirational to you in your own journey. Definitely. The two books I would recommend, the first one is called Wired for Dating, and it's by Stan Tatkin. So it's about attachment style and patterns of attraction as it relates to dating. Amazing book. And the second book is called Women's Anatomy of Arousal by Sherry Winston. And it tells you all about the female anatomy and different pleasure zones and breathing techniques to use to connect more to your body and to your pleasure. And it's great for every woman and it's great for every person who loves women. So I like both of those books. Thank you so much. So if anyone wants to find you on the internet, follow you, work with you, where can they find you? The easiest way is just to go to my website, violetlang.com, and I have a few programs that you can just sign up for just through the website, and then I also have my free consultation, which is violetlang.com forward slash talk, or on Facebook, I have a group called Free Your Feminine, and it's all about freeing our feminine energy, which has been oppressed for a long time. I won't get too much into that on my soapbox, but really connecting to our feminine energy. It is for women only, but it's of any you know orientation or, or all of that. So that's the best way to get a hold of me and to tap into this work. I do a Facebook Live every Wednesday in that group and a variety of topics. Great. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yes. Thank you both. This was so fun. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Courageous Wellness. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode featuring a different guest each week. Subscribe, rate, and write us a nice review. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Courageous Wellness or get in touch through our website, www.courageouswellnesspodcast.com. Until next week, I'm Allie. And I'm Erica, and we're Courageous Wellness.